The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Ashley. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Dungeons, Dragons, Space Knights, Star Trek Plus, Santa Claus, Barbarian Warrior, we talk time, space, and dimension. Lord Byron recites some poetry. And the legends of tomorrow who came from yesterday to your TV are now returning to comics today. Everybody got that? Four out of five Orc Warriors agree. The Major Spoilers podcast is good for what ails you. It makes you sound smarter. So uh, sit back and uh, sharpen your horns because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air or something. Welcome to issue 655 of the Major Spoilers podcast. I don't know about you guys. I'm in a good mood, but I mean... Matthew, you were sick earlier this week. Ashley is sick. Oh, I, I still I am. feel horrid. Right oh, now. we got sick people, and then we have Rodrigo, and then we have me, who's always around kids. Every day, my youngest son comes home and talks about kids who threw up at school today. That's so And gross. it's like, uh, <laughs> then he's like, Dad, give me a hug. I'm like, get back, you little, you germ demon. <laughs> germ factory, walk away. So I'm sure I will uh, swell up into a massive load of pus uh, any day now because oh of that. God. But God, speaking why of, you say that. Speaking <laughs> of, let's talk about some of the cool news that's going on this week. <laughs> and the thing, <laughs> that's a heck of a segue. Hey, well, according to the internet, that's what they wow. think of the Star Trek Beyond trailer. Oof. Yeah, people, people not not happy with the Star Trek of the, the Beyond. I, well, it it sure was a, a Star Trek trailer stuffed inside a Fast and the Furious trailer. <laughs> well, yes, it is being directed by Justin Lin, who did direct uh, Fast and the Furious uh, movies. And I don't know. It seems like I've seen some diehard Star Trek fans who are just like, hey, yo, everybody, just just chill and relax. We this is only the first trailer. We know nothing else about the movie except for this trailer. And then right. we have people who are like. Uh, yeah, this is not Star Trek. What happened to all the, the cerebral? What happened to all the, the thinking stuffs? This just looks like, as that Ashley said, Fast and the Furious. Show. But you don't put that in a trailer. Well, the cerebral stuff? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't want to see them sitting around talking about like trade agreements to pull up that old trope. What do you guys think of this? Ashley, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? You're our resident uh, Star Trek uh, aficionado. <laughs> Well, um, let it be known that I don't like the Beastie Boys, so what? Uh, I don't. I'm too entirely too white for that. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. The music turned me off. Um, 
I think that if you had put it to different music, like say Enterprising Young Man, which is a song from the 2009 soundtrack that they used for the trailer, um, I could have gotten more behind it. I understand sharing all the action beats because it is 2015 and that's how we show movies. Um, but yeah, I just, I have some reservations about the director to begin with and this trailer didn't necessarily make me feel good about it, but I'm going to go see it. So it really doesn't matter either way. <laughs> Rodrigo, what were your initial reactions to Star Trek Beyond? I, I mean, I like both Star Trek just fine and the Beastie Boys just fine. <laughs> um, but it was a weird combination. Uh, Sabotage is a song that we've heard a lot. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a song that's been around for a long time and uh, it's like if they just wanted an upbeat song, they could have picked anything. But the problem with using Sabotage is that it calls things to mind. And it doesn't call to mind Starfleet or Space Conflict or anything like that, right? It calls to mind, you know, I don't know, uh, guys wearing fake mustaches and coats that are too big for them running around behind a factory. Maybe, you know, they're, maybe in their music selection, they're actually telling us something about what the movie's about. Well, and, and it and it could be, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, like when people look at it and they say this is not Trek, like I feel that not necessarily because the movie is not going to be Trek, but because this trailer is not Star Trek. You know, this trailer is is pushing an action movie and hmm. even though the previous star trek movies had plenty of action there's a whole other aspect to star trek what makes star trek actually interesting is all the other stuff going on and it it really seems to me that like to sell the people who were watching star trek when the beastie boys were a thing <laughs> you don't need to put the beastie boys in there let me let me ask you this when you say that this this doesn't feel like a Star Trek trailer, what do we normally think of when we think Star Trek trailers? We think of these space shots and we think of the bum, ba bum, 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 bum. We hear that in the background and we hear this voiceover by the captain talking about something. And then we have the big bad saying some some very callous words. Some, and then we see ominous. some boom, 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 splashes and then pow, boom, Star Trek. Maybe, just maybe, because of the way the last movie was handled. And the reception that the last movie had, especially when they told us that, hey, this is not a con movie. And then it turned out to be Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're approaching this trailer completely different to let audiences know that, hey, forget about what came before. This is your all new, all different, not your granddaddy's <laughs> Star Trek. Taking a taking a note from Marvel there. Maybe. By, by using by using a, yeah, by uh, using your, a song your, that was your grandpappy's music. people that are literally <laughs> grandparents now were into. Matthew, what do you think? I think that it's an incredibly generic trailer. I think that it emphasizes the things that I didn't like about both the 2009 relaunch Vamp Boot and Into Darkness. And I think that going back to the well of, hey, we're going to blow up the ship. Are you going to be shocked by this? It's too early for that for me. I feel like there's so much of the relaunch Star Trek that is implicit in our understanding and loving the Star Trek that came before that they don't have, I think, the, the cachet and goodwill built up enough for me 
to say, okay, we're going to completely flip the script and trash everything, especially given how much I disliked pretty much everything about Into Darkness. I mean, could it be a wonderful movie? Sure. This is just a generic, super generic trailer. This could have been a, this could have been a Riddick movie. This, this could have been any type of just kind of action sci-fi kind of Watts of Frasselman, which is fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a trailer that is, Hey, remember this exists. We're not going to give you all the story beats. We're going to give you something really exciting to get you pumped about maybe seeing it. And then you go in and you see the movie and you're like, Oh, I didn't realize that Ricardo Montalban was in this. Let me, add, let me, let me throw another think. thing out. Cause this is another thing that I found very weird, especially if you look at the major spoilers website this week, and we are only at the beginning of the week. But in two days, we have been inundated with Star Trek stuff Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. We have been inundated with Star Trek mere days before a Star Wars movie hits theaters. This trailer was supposed to uh, show in front of the Star Wars movie. It got leaked, which forced uh, Paramount to uh, go ahead and release it online first. But I'm wondering if also the fact that this has a lot more action and it was supposed to be a trailer in front of Star Wars is also another a Star Wars fans. Our stuff is better than your stuff kind of stuff. I don't know. It is, it just, it is it, completely a reaction to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just well, weird how many Star Wars or Star Trek stories showed up on the site this week. Well, and, and that's the thing is, you know, Star Trek is the you can say Star Trek is the same type of thing. And far from it, from them trying to steal Star Wars Thunder, it's like. You know, we talked about the new 52, right? The new 52 was hugely popular. It was a great event and it just raised everybody. Like Mm -hmm. Marvel was selling more comics. IDW was selling more comics just because the new 52 kind of like made up this big blip in the radar. So I think they're hoping for that. They're like, well, you like sci-fi? We have spaceships in this one too. I'm just wondering, I don't know if this is like a rubber band effect from... Everybody's been Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, and now this week we can breathe that sigh of relief and no, move can't. on There's to the next thing. There's spoiler articles up online. I'm, I, you know, I haven't seen those, which, you know, Oof. for a site like us, I mean, I, it's very, for people that are like, I'm inundated with spoilers. No, you don't have to be if you don't want to be. I can see yeah. stuff. I know the, uh, Tiffany Smith was doing a, a show that was going to be heavy spoiler uh, intensive mm-hmm. that comes out either. Uh, right now or today or whenever you're listening to this. And I was like, well, okay, well, I know to avoid that show. Just like this week, we're going to do Zach on film and we're going to, uh, and that'll come out Friday morning and that we will sit down and we will talk about Star Wars and we will spoiler the heck out of it. And I think people can avoid those things if they really want to. I don't, but to be quite honest, I don't think there's going to be anything that can compare to, uh, you know, Luke's father reveal uh, from Empire Strikes Back. Well, and that was an that was an example of a time when it was a little bit easier to keep these things under wraps. But if you look at what they've shown us, if we look at really what do we know about Star Trek beyond from this trailer? Yeah. Plot wise? I don't know what it's about. A whole lot of nothing. It looks like the ship gets blown up. Um, you know, I'll take that though over knowing I mean, I can tell you pretty much what the Star Wars movie is gonna be. <laughs> oh that's, yeah yeah I mean, yeah well but that's, but that's we don't know question. that we're not gonna get a thousand trailers from star trek as well no that's that's true that's very true very uh, true that that crazy ass teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 movie came out glorious garbage is what uh, <laughs> bruce otter called it on on twitter which it is because it's just like 
it's so good yet so awful at the same time. Um, but someone was like, I hope this is the only trailer we get because that looks great. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh, you're going to be getting a million and a half trailers yeah. for that movie before it, before it arrives. It's just the yeah. way it's done today. It doesn't mean we have to like it. No, no, we can certainly, uh, not like it, but when people are putting it online and it, it gets, the studios are putting it online and it gets a million hits, it just encourages right. them to do it. Even if there's, you know, 7.6 billion other people who aren't watching it, a million and- still moves the needle. To go back to that question of this is not Star Trek, when you look at the depth and breadth of Star Trek from 1966 through all the spinoffs, through the the launch vamp boot, whatever the hell you want to call it, the new alternate universe for all intents and purposes, not Star Trek would be a very, very small thing because Star Trek mm-hmm. has encompassed a lot of things. They've had flat out comedic episodes they've had goofy episodes you go from something like you know jim kirk in the past in love with edith keeler which is an incredibly emotional episode and a a thing that really kind of hits you right in the gut and then you can jump right back into something like shore leave which is really kind of goofy and god help you if you watch the way to eden i watch the way to eden or the apple space hippies (laughs) Oh, no, Space I was thinking of the Will Wheaton one where they go down to a half-naked planet and he steps oh, on the uh, yeah. Justice from season one of Next Gen, another <laughs> yes. terrible episode. Even Deep Space Nine has bad episodes. But when you say something is not Star Trek, I mean, what does that mean? It's not the original series Star Trek. Even if you just take those 79 episodes, there's a huge Let me tell you. tone and, and style. And yeah, tell us. That whole third season is not Star Trek. <laughs> That whole third season has a lot of, but you know, it's got some of the better episodes in it. It's got some really strong episodes and then it's got the way to Eden and Spock yeah. and Rain. Well, I mean, well, there's, there's crap to be had there. Here's, here's my, here's my hope is that too many times a Star Trek movie turns into a two-part television episode that they decided to put on the big screen. And I don't want that in my Star Trek movies. If I'm going to, to the movies to see Star Trek, I don't want it to be a hyper-extended television episode so maybe we'll get that maybe we won't i guess we'll have to wait until this summer to find out uh dc legends of tomorrow kicks off in january on the cw network it seems like a perfect time for dc comics to kick off their own dc legends of tomorrow series uh and (laughs) doesn't it just (laughs) i know right and it looks like they are bringing back some uh, classic characters including firestorm the metal men uh, metamorpho and sugar and spike those are some super obscure characters, but not only they, that, they ran 275 consecutive issues. How are they obscure? Back in 1962. Uh, uh, but not only that, but they are bringing back legendary writers and creators to work on these, including and Jerry, including <laughs> Jerry Conway, who will be doing the writing duties on uh, Firestorm. Uh, Lynn Ween will be doing Metalman, Aaron Lepresti with uh, with art by Aaron Lepresti and uh, Matt Banning on Metamorpho. And then, as you said, Keith Giffen uh, and uh, I, Bill Quisevoli doing uh, Sugar and Spike. And this I is an anthology. Jerry series. Conway created Firestorm, I didn't he? I believe so. I can't remember. Or <laughs> yeah, he did so. the second incarnation of that. I keep forgetting on that. And so that's what I think is neat is that they are bringing back these characters and they're bringing back their creators, too. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Are you guys excited about this? I know you, we've talked before about yeah Jerry Conway as a, as a creator. I know we've talked before about an anthology series don't sell, but I have a feeling this one might. It's got just enough obscurity, plus it's got the DC Legends of Tomorrow tie-in that I think people will pick this up at least for eight issues. 
I think their issue is going to be that the, it's got the same name as the show, but only one character in common. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyone else, Ashley? Um, I just have a lot of reservations about bringing, um, for lack of a better phrase, like older creators who aren't necessarily working in a lot of contemporary storytelling because Marvel keeps trotting out Chris, Chris Claremont, and I love Chris Claremont, and he invented two of my favorite X-Men characters, but his books recently, for my money, have been terrible. So whenever I see a company doing that as kind of a ploy to get readers, I feel very hesitant about that. Mm, probably another thing, Rodrigo, that might be make people hesitant is it's 80 pages. This is the first issue, at least, is going to be 80 pages. $8 book. Yeah, that's – I think that right yeah, there sorry. actually kind of seals it for me in that this is kind of a book for the guys that already know these characters, the guys mm-hmm. that all have already been in comics for a while, and they're like, you know what, I want to read – I want to read a fraction of a Firestorm story. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I know and so, you know, it's like this is a bigger, more expensive book with older characters. Um, I don't know that it's going to get necessarily the cross-pollination that they want with the show, but it's like, how do you even sell comics nowadays, right? So, you know, I think it's going to be fine. I mean, it's interesting to me just because there are lesser known characters mm-hmm. and those are the guys that are allowed to change. Those are the guys that they're allowed to experiment with, whereas you can't in a way that you can't with Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman, at least not, you know, not to the same degree. Right. I don't know. Gail Simone a while ago was talking about an anthology book that she had been pitched to with her and Mark Wade and some other people. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And the way that they the way that she said that they were going to format the book was that it was going to be rotating, meaning like the Firestorm would be the main story and then the other three would be your backups. And then the next month, everybody would shift up one. So then the next uh, month you would have um, Sugar and Spike take on the main bulk of the story and then Firestorm would move to one of the backups and you just rotate it through that way until you had the complete story told over the course of several months. If they did something like that, I think that might work. Um I guess but what about the people who are only buying the book for Firestorm? Yeah, yeah that's that's a, the discussion a, we've the had. The classic before, conundrum yeah. of anthology books has always been that. Mm-hmm. What if yep. what if I only care about this section of the Spider-Man family? Mm-hmm. But yep. maybe by reading that section of the Spider-Man family and in that massive Spider-Verse crossover, you get introduced to Spider-Gwen. And suddenly you're like, who's this Spider-Gwen? I think I will read another book about her. <laughs> and then suddenly you become a huge Spider-Gwen fan and her books sell more than The Amazing Spider-Man does. I mean, she the is classic, practically perfect in every way. <laughs> yes. The, the classic impetus for the uh, anthology book. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, is, of the that three. That is the question as all this time. Do we do a showcase book and risk, mm-hmm. you know, people being upset about that? But also... Can we drive people to it? You know, I mean, Dark Horse has a very, yeah, just, you know, fairly successful anthology book and they just keep plugging along and doing it. And every once in a while, they just collect it into its own yeah. issues. The big they difference between a lot of good series out of it. The b- mm-hmm. big difference between Dark, Dark Horse Presents and at least in this first issue of uh, DC Legends of Tomorrow is that Dark Horse Presents is a 48 page book that's five dollars. And it's now up to 20 issues right now, or yeah, 20 issues. And this one is an 80-page book for $8. And I don't know if that is sustainable. If if it's going to continually be 80 pages of awesome content every month for 8 bucks, I'm not sure that that is a sustainable yeah. uh, thing going forward. I think that uh, with any luck is going to be 
that first issue giving you a full 20-page chapter of everything. So you get a basically a full first issue of all four stories mm-hmm. before they throw you into, you know, eight or ten page breakdowns. Because that's what always seems to kill an anthology for me is what do they do when they get past that arc? That happened with Action Comics Weekly. That happened with to a certain degree it happened with 52. But if this has well, if this has an end game. 52 is, is really good. <laughs> I'm not saying it wasn't, but the weakness of it was its anthology nature. It was, we saw when Steel's story wrapped up in like issue 15, and we still had another 30 weeks of show to go. I mean, this, again, this is the thing you the, see. The way that, the way that uh, ongoing anthologies get around it is by staggering the stories, right? Mm-hmm. You just never have maybe more than two of the ongoing threads uh, start on the same issue or end in the same issue if they don't have the same uh, run. Right. Right. So as soon as something ends, a new thing begins or it begins on the next issue and you just always have this constantly going. If all of these stories are going to be, you know, 12 issues each, um, that could, you know, you could run into problems if there's any issues, Mm -hmm. which there might be with space within the book or, you know, time getting things done, you might, you know, have to push a story, you know, back a little bit. And then what do you do? But those are publishing concerns. You know, yeah. it's kind of like that's right. a <laughs> problem to work out. It, it is definitely going to be a gain of readership and sell more than 3000 copies a month yeah. issue. So uh, we will find out how the first issue does when Legends of Tomorrow number one r- arrives in March of 2016. And just around the corner, ladies and gentlemen, free comic book day. Uh, it's one of my favorite days of the year next to uh, Halloween and uh, the day after the day after Christmas. Um, <laughs> this year, they've already announced all the gold sponsors. And I thought this week they were supposed to announce the silver. Oh, tomorrow's the 16th. So on the 16th, they're going to announce all the silver uh, titles for free comic book day. But the one that caught my eye right away is IDW Publishing. They announced this back at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Rom the Space Knight is coming back. And it <gasps> will be the gold offering from IDW uh, for free comic book day, Rom the Space Knight number zero comes out. I'm kind of excited about it. Matthew, you are a big Rom the Space Knight fan. I am, but like the Micronauts, much of which what is I also love, coming out. Much of what I love about Rom is in the stories that were written. And with the exception of Rom himself and some of the overarching concepts, all of that and the supporting cast that we know are actually property of Marvel Comics. Well, no, actually, they are property of Hasbro. Nope. Because it's a toy line because it says, uh, at least IDW says, the Dire Wraiths, which were the main big bads, are part of the, are part of this story, part of this ongoing story. Yep. But Brandy is not. Uh, Claritin, Virginia, the Torpedo, all of these things, all of the characters that cycled around Rom in those stories still belong to Marvel because they appear in Marvel books as recently as that last run of guardians of the galaxy. So again, I'm not saying I won't read it. I'm just interested to see what they're, what they're going to give us. The, you know, you'll the, read it. The, it's free. The concept is strong. It's free. You'll read it's it. It's not free. Yeah, it is. It's free, free comic to you. Book day is not free. It is to you. Free comic book free day isn't free. <laughs> Who else? Anybody else excited about Rom space night on free comic book day? I don't know anything about Rom Space Knight. Oh, it sounds like a geek history lesson (laughs) with uh, substitute uh, instructor Matthew Peterson coming up down the line. Probably. 
I don't know, man. He is a toy do, that Hasbro created. Yep. That was the most awesome toy of 1982. See, years ago on the planet Galador, they were attacked by these alien shapeshifters called the Dire Wraiths. And in order to combat the Dire Wraiths, some of the strongest and, and most wise uh, were converted into space knights. Into robots. Not robots, cyborgs. But we're not robots. talking like a Victor Stone kind of, here's an artificial leg cyborg. We're talking it's about like, <laughs> you're a pile of guts inside of this robot body. See? And you got red lights that light up when you push the button on your back. And you got a little and Rom, Rom space gun. Rom was the greatest of the space knights. He had friends with names like uh, Pulsar and Firefall and Plor. Uh, by the what? way, Plor, I love Plor. Anyway, and you know, all of these guys went out and they got lost and then Galador got lost and Galactus was in there for a while and he won't be in this because Galactus belongs to Marvel. Yes. But even so. And he's and if you think about his name, Rom, read only memory because computers were kind of a big thing back in the day. 1977, baby. Yeah, boy. The only Rom I know is the Royal Ontario Museum. Well, we are going to introduce <laughs> you to Rom the Space Knight on May 7th, 2016. Wait. Muy Frenchy. Not exactly. Uh, Chris Ryle is going to be writing this book. He's a, he's a good guy over at IDW Publishing. Isn't he like uh, the editor-in-chief? Uh, I believe, I don't remember what his official title is off the top of my head, but he's one of the big muckety-mucks over at IDW. He's a good guy, though. He's the one responsible for bringing lock and key uh, to our hands, and I thank him every day for it. Woo! I would thank him more if he would give me a copy of the uh, uh, the TV pilot that never aired, but he still refuses to do that, yeah. so... Uh, let's talk about good news things. First of all, Ashley Victoria Robinson. Yes. How goes the comics for Soldiers Drive? I sent off my 52 comics today. Yes. We were so glad to get them. Uh, it goes incredibly well. And if you go to youtube.com slash Jawin at some mysterious ethereal time tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. Hello, future people. Hello. Uh, there will be an official announcement about how many awesome comics we have that we didn't expect to get. Excellent. I cannot wait. So that's J-A-W-I-I-N. Yes. On YouTube. And you'll find out it's more about that tomorrow. There's still time. I mean, there's still a couple yeah, of weeks before the end Send of the year. Oh, I'm going to. I just have to be able to get out of the house and not be miserable. <laughs> well, OK. So I think we can get you out of the house. Thing. No guarantee on the miserable part. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go to that uh, place down there where they have the mail and the little white trucks. I, I sent off my boxes. big box today and I told the guys like, man, this is heavy. And it was cheaper than I thought it was going to be. I, I sent a, uh, a short box of comics and Did you really it's all flat rate envelope. No, I didn't. I just took my a literal short box, taped it all up. It's full of trade paperbacks. And I took it down there and I thought it was nice. heavy. He just picked it up and he's like, okay, here you go. And I think it was like 25, 30 bucks to send that. Uh, to nice. the uh, to Terre Haute, Indiana, mm -hmm. uh, for the uh, sold comics for Soldiers Drive. So I'm I'm excited about it. And listeners, if you still have comics that you don't want anymore, give them to a good cause. Don't throw them away. Don't you know rip the pages out and hang them up on your wall uh, to keep the uh, winter cold out. Don't, ship don't them do off. that in any case. Ship them off to people who will enjoy them. I mean, do it to Rom Space Night. <laughs> yeah. Hey, come on now. <laughs> you can find out more over at YouTube.com. Slash Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N. I cannot wait for this announcement uh, soon to see how this is going. In mere hours. Mere Rob hours. Space Knight crossed over with Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. Thank you. I don't know anything about Shang-Chi either. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like Zack all over again. <laughs> I'm a disappointing child. <laughs> I don't know uh, about Robin. <laughs> hey, I've got some other good news, ladies and gentlemen. 
What's we are in the presence of someone who is about to have a book released. What? Rodrigo Lopez, you have a book coming out on January 12th called Tale of the Ta- A Tale of Tallest Rabbit. That's right. The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. What is this book about? Uh, this book is about a uh, girl who may or may not be a rabbit and her adventures uh, with her friends who also may or may not be rabbits. Um, it's kind of a, it's an all ages book. If, you know, to actually read it, I would say eight and up. Um, but definitely you can read this to kids. And, um, I don't know. I get a lot of, uh, people asking me, you know, after like critical hit and stuff, they're like, have you done anything else? And I'm like, well, now I have, I wrote a book. Woo! That's cool. And the book is called tale of tallest rabbit. It's coming out on January 12th. And here's what we want all of our fine listeners to do. We want you to mark your calendars for January 12th. And on that date, we want you to head to Amazon.com and we want you to buy Tale of Tallest Rabbit by Rodrigo Lopez. Just you can find it. Type it. Type the name in. You'll find it. We want everybody to buy that book on January 12th, the day that it is released, because we're going to game the system. We've learned from Brian Brushwood in Scam School. We've learned from Justin Robert Young in his politics, politics, politics show <laughs> and all of the other stuff that he does. The more people you can buy that can buy that book on day of release, the higher up it goes in the rankings faster. It gets more people to see that book and gets them and encourages them to buy that book. And that's what we want to happen with Tale of Tallest Rabbit. Rodrigo's been doing such a great job of telling us stories all these years. It's time to read another one. It's called Tale of Tallest Rabbit. It comes out January 12th. Do not pre-order the book. Don't pre-order it because that doesn't work. Go on January 12th to Amazon.com. And if you want, use the link over at Majorspoilers.com to get over to Amazon. Buy the book, Tale of Tallest Rabbit, on uh, January 12th. Rodrigo, this is inexpensive. We can get this in two formats, and both of them are super cheap. Yep, that's right. I believe the physical format is going to be about 13 bucks, and the uh, Kindle format is going to be only 5 bucks. Come on, that wow. is a bargain. For 120 nice. pages, I think, of, of goodness. My suggestion is get the physical copy because the cover art is fantastic. Yeah, I actually I got an actual legit uh, graphic artist to do this for me. It, I, I think it looks really good. Uh, I'm super happy for you, Rodrigo. I know all of our listeners are happy and they're all going to help out by going to Amazon.com on January 12th and buying Tale of Tallest Rabbit. Cannot wait for that. Ah, let us get to some reviews. Reviews. Your Christmas is just around the corner. And that means Santa Claus is coming. Santa Claus is coming. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. The Krumpus came last weekend, two weekends ago. Sorry. Uh, But this is the Grant Morrison, Dan Mora book from uh, Boom Studios. Matthew and I reviewed this a couple of weeks ago on the Dueling Review podcast. If you haven't listened to Dueling Review, it is a lot of fun. Um, Number two picks up essentially right after issue one, as they often do where Klaus goes into town and he drops off presents for all the kids. And of course that sends the town overlord into fits and squabbles. And uh, they spend the entire night trying to chase Klaus around town. He of course is big and muscle bound and is, uh, gives him the old one, two. He's able to escape, but not before the queen of the town or whatever her name is makes a connection between him and someone she knew a long time ago. And of course, there's a spoiled brat kid, but uh, nobody cares about him. Again, a brat this kid. feels like a 
acid trip version of the secret origin of Santa Claus, that bank and Rass, uh, uh, show that we used to watch years ago, Rankin bass, not bank and Rass. Um, <laughs> with burger that, meister meister burger. Yes. I believe, uh, bank and bank and Raz is actually the Rankin bass, uh, Ben and Jerry's flavor. Yes, right, that's right. Exactly. It's the title of Rodrigo's next book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Rankin it's, it bass. feels very much like that turned up to 10. It still has a lot of the, um, of the um, the Wiccan uh, undertones that run through throughout it about the original metaphysical Santa Claus. Uh, but it's a good stuff. It really is. I cannot wait to see issue three. I wish this was a weekly book. I wish they had timed it so that it would end just as Christmas was arriving. <laughs> I think that would have been a great publicity stunt. But anyway, this will go for another couple of months. But Klaus number two from uh, Boom Studios. I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. The art is great. Wow. This this book is a little bit um, choppier because it's all action, action, action as he's running through town trying to avoid everybody. But uh, good stuff. It, you really see evil, wicked children. You really see the light in these very good children. And you feel for them. And if that's what you should be feeling, good children deserve the toys. Bad children deserve the Krampus. Uh, and uh, go pick it up. So there you go. Klaus number two, Boom Studios. Klaus. Klaus. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for us this week? I have their comic book. It is not about the Klaus. It is, in fact, about someone entirely different. Uh, <laughs> New Romancer number one from Vertigo Comics. Uh, New Romancer written by Peter Milligan, who, by the way, you know you're in for a trip when it says Pete Milligan on it. Uh, drawn by Brett Parson. It is the story of... I don't know really how to elevator pitch this. Uh, it's a, it begins with the death of Lord Byron in the year 1824. And it immediately transitions to a young lady who's working for a failing internet company, an internet dating site called New Romancer. And in her spare time, because she is a brilliant programmer and also, you know, kind of, um, artistic and, and, uh, gothy and such, she makes, profiles on the site for legendary romantic types like Lord Byron and Casanova. So she's creating these computer profiles of dead people that are almost as good as life. And then we also find out that some really strange things happened to her when she was a child and her previous employer may possibly be trying to find a way to resurrect dead people by implanting computerized AI versions of their brains into the bodies of deceased people. I think you see where this is going. Yeah, I want to read uh, the online profile of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft or uh, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Those right? would be the ones that would be creepy. That would be very creepy. Come to my by house the, and I'll show you my eldritch horror. By the end of the issue, she is being accompanied by a real, well, real version of Lord Byron, who uh, is exactly what you might expect of someone from the 1800s and in fact he abandons her halfway through the issue to run off with a couple of hotties in a uh, sports car like you do um the whole point of this really is the strange contrast and the balance of extremes and that is something that milligan does really well as i said peter milligan writes some really weird stuff he writes things that are kind of 
over the top, especially when it comes to your your sexual situations and the strange things. And there might be a little bit of uh, some blood and guts in the book as well, because Lord Byron isn't the only one who might be walking among us now. I'm not going to mention any names. Casanova. Uh, but as the book ends, we've set up really one of those vertigo stories that can kind of go anywhere. There's no real indication of whether these two are the only two, whether there's more coming, whether there's something stranger going on, if there's an overarching X-Files type plot, but it's really all in the character work. And the main character is kind of that sweet, nebbishy girl that you get. I use this phrase too much, and I'm going to use it again. This reminds me of the 90s Vertigo books that I read in the 90s. That's a good thing. Not necessarily a bad thing. Doesn't necessarily tell you anything if you didn't read those books. But what it really is is a story that is hard to encapsulate that gets by on its own charisma. Three out of five slices of meatloaf. The art is lovely. The story is really wonky. And I'm kind of interested in seeing how terribly bad this whole thing can go for Lexi and Lord Byron and whomever else gets involved. Cool. And that's from uh, Vertigo. Vertigo Publishing, yep. Excellent. Uh, Rodrigo, we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons in a little bit, but uh, until then, why don't we talk about Dragon Age? Yeah, because clearly I didn't get enough uh, medieval fantasy over the past couple weeks, reading uh, <laughs> Fels 5. So, um, yeah, Dragon Age, Mage Killer. I played Dragon Age 1 and 2. I still haven't played Inquisition. Um, but this is a book that claims that it is a great entrance point into the Dragon Age mythos. And for the most part, that may be correct because we spend the majority of this book, um, in text boxes. I mean, action is happening. These guys are like doing things, but there's like this, uh, narration from one of the characters where they're basically like, this guy and me, we hunt wizards. Wizards are like this, and this is what they do, and this is where they live, and this is why that's bad. And about, like, uh, maybe two pages from the end of the book, we basically get to where this book is kind of going to go from here, right? I mean, sometimes you need that in a first issue, especially the first issue of a world or or that involves a setting where not everybody's going to be familiar with the tenets of it. And the Dragon Age ones are pretty specific. You know, mages exist in a particular uh, space, sort of, and their relationship with other organizations is important. And also, um, all of the Dragon Age games, I think, take place uh, in the same continent or near the same continent. But this... Uh, introduces or not introduces, but mentions uh, people from a different continent. So uh, this this uh, book has the very tough task of not just introducing you to how things are in this country, but also uh, telling you a little bit about the entirety of the world of Dragon Age or all the relevant things that are going to be important later. And so the book is kind of bogged down with that, unfortunately. Um, that said, you know, the art is great. Uh, Carmen Carnero is an artist that I wasn't very familiar with, but I've looked up some of her stuff and I really like it. Um, 
the the art is good it's fluid you can generally tell who's who and who's doing what uh the character designs are not necessarily super distinctive but that's okay you don't get them confused with anybody else within the story right it's just kind of like two dark-haired people in medieval garb fighting stuff generally um it's interesting uh the cover's really cool um again the art is really good uh, I'll give it three slices of meatloaf, and mostly because I'm interested in what's going to happen afterward, right? It it does kind of pique my interest, having been involved in uh, or having seen Dragon Age stuff before. I wonder if this does the trick, though, for somebody who's not familiar with Dragon Age stuff, if they pick it up and be like, oh, I'm definitely interested in this strange political situation that it took us two entire games to explain. Hmm. Uh, the only Dragon Age I'm familiar with is the uh, Felicia Day uh, movie thing. Yep, so, she did do that. Yeah, that's that's all I know about it. I've not played any of the games, so maybe I will take you up on that challenge, Rodrigo. Uh, you know, Dragon Age is is really interesting because I don't know if officially, but basically back in the day, Bioware used to have the license to do Star Wars games mm. and to do D&D games, and that fell through. That disappeared. So... Um, that's how we basically ended up with a Mass Effect and Dragon Age. You know, Mass Effect and Dragon Age are Bioware just being like, well, we already have all these things and frameworks and elements that we were working on. So let's just put out our own space opera and medieval fantasy worlds. Cool. Well, I'll check it out. Or maybe one of our listeners will take you up on it. Listeners, if you have not uh, ever been exposed to Dragon Age, pick up this book and see if it intrigues you to be uh, become one with the lore, so to speak. Or maybe not. Uh, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is another Ashley on television. There is. Uh, this uh, one is a of guy. The, of the male variety. And he is sticking some dead-eyed butts. Was a man's name for a long time. I want to let you know there was a very tiny earthquake in California just a second ago. Oh, no. Okay. And when it stopped, my refrigerator started it. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm reviewing Ash vs. the Evil Dead, Episode 7, which I totally thought was Episode 8. Fire in the hole. <laughs> And um, what happens is, so Ash has been traveling around trying to stop these deadites with these kids who are probably supposed to be in their 20s, but are actually actors in their 30s, named (laughs) Pablo and Kelly. And they've joined up with a lady who's supposed to be in her 30s, which means she's probably pushing 40, um, who's playing a cop. She is uh, the African-American character of the series. It's actually a really diverse show, which I think is kind of... Uh, nice well Mm -hmm. done stars and it's their first time working together as a whole unit and they basically uh, they go to this diner and they meet one of Ash's old friends who is like a white supremacist coom militia member Mm -hmm. and they go off to his like survivalist camp and they're trying to raid it for weapons so that they can go back to the cabin where um, Ash stayed in the first Evil Dead movie and Ultimate brought the Deadites on so they can close the portal to hell forever and they just discover that his um, militia friend, whose name is Lem, was uh, possessed and became a deadite. And he is attacking them. And a lot of other icky white guys are attacking them. And it's basically one giant action scene out at this camp. Um, mm-hmm. Except they have a totally unearned almost kiss between the cop and Ash, which normally would really bug me. But for Bruce Campbell and for Ashley Williams, I feel like it's kind of a perfect choice and a perfect storytelling device for the series. Yeah. Um, 
The romance between them is probably the only thing that actually forwards the plot in this episode. But, you know, in, in the seven episodes that I've seen, there's really only one moment that the whole episode turns on. And then the rest of it is just an action scene. And then there's kind of a cryptic ending. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly what this is. I think this is one of the best episodes of the season because Pablo and Kelly, his two little friends um, from the Value Mart, because it can't be S-Mart for some reason. I don't know why that is, but uh, I guess it- not. I don't they're only there for like an episode, so it's not that weird. Um, but they're really starting to come into their own and not just being like, oh my god, I'm along for this crazy ride. And you get to see them like do some really cool stuff and become a lot Mm -hmm. more capable. Mm -hmm. So I think that this episode really shows like where the show could go and where it could become like something truly badass by the end of the season. And we have three more episodes to get three more episodes. (laughs) Episode eight. Called Ashes to Ashes airs December 19th at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern on Stars. I am caught up on the series as of uh, this recording. I watched episode seven on Sunday night, I believe. Mm-hmm. And man, it was it was good, Ashley. I liked it a lot. I think Bruce Campbell continues to nail it as Ash Williams. And I think that he like now he's really like a great actor. Like you watch him and you're like, oh, you're making like these really interesting choices. And you're actually I believe the things you're saying. How cool. <laughs> The show's just so much better than it you would think it could be, and I'm mm-hmm. surprised that it can sustain this ongoing narrative, but it's a ton of fun. So I think that if you have any interest, even a passing interest, in the Evil Dead or Army of Darkness world, it's definitely a show we're checking out. The thing that I like about it is each episode takes place in one location. So you're mm-hmm. at the you're at the uh, S Mart, you're at the at Kelly's parents' house, you're at um um pablo's what uncle's house uh yeah the brujo the brujo and then you're here at the survivalist camp it's really well done because they're able to keep everything essentially at one spot make the shooting that much easier and progress the story at the same time the one thing that you didn't mention in here is uh lucy lawless is oh she's naked in this episode she is very naked in this episode (laughs) um but uh she's got a creepy reveal that uh, people might want to check out as as to uh she may be more than what she's letting on. Yes. So, yeah, it was a good episode. I cannot wait. Uh, in fact, I think, Ashley, uh, if you want to watch episode eight tonight as you recover, I sent you a uh, screener copy. You that's, spoil that's me. That Stars sent me. So, uh, good stuff over there at uh, at Stars. And what what what's the final ver- verdict on this? Four out of five slices of really gross meatloaf. <laughs> that's the other thing is this has this this series has a lot of. If you love what Sam Raimi did in Evil Dead. This is for you. (laughs) This is definitely for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Ashley and Rodrigo and Matthew. And uh, listeners, you can find these reviews, not these reviews, but you can find all sorts of reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. While you're over there, as we mentioned earlier, click on that Amazon link if you're going to buy something. uh, Because every time you make a purchase through that Amazon link at Majorspoilers.com, a little bit comes back our way. And then we're able to pay out some of our writers, pay out our podcasters, uh, and to generally keep this uh, boat afloat. I got the bill for our server this month a little bit higher than I thought because uh, some of you may know we moved over to a new server but in the process, we had to transfer gigs and gigs and gigs of data, which kind of put us over the cap for the month. Uh, <laughs> so uh, all of you who are using Amazon this holiday season here in the U.S., thank you so much, because that is exactly what that's going to pay for our new server, which has run flawlessly since October. And we're at the end of December right now. And I'm super excited about that. Uh, while you are also over at Major Spoilers Poll of the uh, Major Spoilers, might I suggest <laughs> you vote in the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week? Woo-hoo. Yeah, why don't you? 
Yes. Um, there is still, I think the battle between Sandman and Clayface at when I turned it off, I think it was like 49 51 in favor wow. of Sandman, but it's still so close. And I don't know if someone's, uh, pulling our chain or something and being clever in the ways that they're, they're doing this. But I think we're running into another very close race in this week's poll of the week. Uh, this one came to us from uh, one of our favorite spoilerites, Vista Papadopoulosky, all the way down in Mexico. <laughs> and uh, he asked me this question on Twitter the other day, and I said this would be a great poll of the week. He said he wanted to know if we if if I would or you would you rather travel through time or through alternate dimensions? Rodrigo, would you rather travel through time or through alternate dimensions? Uh that is an interesting question. I probably would choose to travel through time, given the option, because at least in broad terms, you know what you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it is, I, I would, I, a lot of time people ask me, it's like, what era would you live in if you could? And I would, and I usually say this one, because it's a lot safer than a lot of the, or the other eras that I could be living in. Um, and you know, time travel seems very dangerous, but yeah. dimensional travel seems super dangerous because you don't know what you're getting into. At least with time travel, you're like, okay, well around here we're dealing with, you know, musket balls, I guess. Um, but you know, at any other time, you know, laser dinosaurs, you know, the robot ships, who knows? Matthew, what about you? I think Rodrigo's point is is the basis of mine as well, because when you think about traveling in time, even if you go forward in time, you're still going to have some theoretical basics of of the way things may or may not have worked, or at least the way they used to work. And a lot of times that's important. If you go to an alternate dimension, you can end up in some weird world where the Constitution was written based on Busby Berkeley musicals or people French kiss to say hello you could end up in a – I don't know if you guys have ever seen Sliders, but there are four main characters in Sliders, and all of them left the show in terrible, horrible ways, especially poor Wade, because of alternate dimensional fremistatory, which is much worse even than what happened to, say, you know, your Amy Pond's uh, spoilers, I guess, three-year-old spoilers for Doctor Who. So I went with time travel simply because if I go to an alternate dimension – I don't want to end up in the alternate dimension where everybody is a giant wasp person and then I'll just be totally freaked out the whole time I'm there. Yeah. Ashley, what about you? Well, I always think that I would like to travel in time. And then I remember that if I went back more than probably 40 years as being with the uterus, it probably wouldn't work out that good for me. Um, So I'm going to say alternate dimensions with the hope that I didn't flip into a Nazi world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I you know, I went with time travel, too, because as we've seen in Critical Hit, for those of you who are who are listening to the show, alternate dimensions may not be in your best interest. Uh, they could they they could be really messed up from wasp people to the land of the Nazis to yeah. uh, heaven forbid uh, you you lose all your powers. Yeah. Uh, so I went with time travel because at least, you know, far enough into the future. Yes, the Morlocks may steal your time machine and may try to eat you. That's true. But. At least you know that if you blow the whistle, they'll all go running. Or wait, the humans will all come running to feed them and you'll save That's yourself. Funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So time travel for me. Matthew, how did everyone else vote so far in the major spoilers poll of the week? Right now, 70 votes in the bag and 
50-50. time travel, 51% alternate dimensions, which literally means one vote difference. Right now, sure. Daryl, yeah. the Trek nerd, says, I chose time travel with our dimension because it's ours. Traveling through different dimensions is a bit irrelevant because they're not ours. Nothing there can affect you since you're not from there. But traveling through time, you could really affect things. Good. That says the Trek nerd. Look what Tom Paris did in 1996. Yes. Uh, George W. says, I chose an alternate dimension because I spent way too long mentally playing the concept of causality paradox, uh, predestination, uh, and other time travel uh, comp- uh, complexities. If I'm going to be traveling around, I want to put those concerns aside and just have fun. Alternate dimensions, says Mike. Uh, Burning Dragonbread says, alternate dimensions. Uh, then he goes into a, uh, another long bit that I really encourage you all to head over to Majorspoilers.com. Read yeah. the fantastic comments. I love it that so many people are starting to use the comment section again. I know you all, all have something to say or share or think, like Kirby, who also says, alternate dimensions, so I can pick up DVDs of seasons of shows that weren't canceled before their time. Star Trek, Duckman, The Critic, <laughs> etc. Oh, yeah. there's one. Yeah. Season three there, of there Mission a, Hill is great. Yeah, there is a dimension where The Critic was never canceled. Hooray. Um Head over there, cast your vote in the major spoilers you poll of the week. You mean to the critic. That <laughs> was awful. Um, it stinks. It stinks. Uh, no, in the alternate universe, he said, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> the alternate dimension where the B. Daltons are still open. The B. Daltons and Orange Juliuses are still, uh, and, and the White Lakes Mall is still I will just, open. I will just say that. Ask like, Jason Kirby's, if he's ever been to the White Lakes Mall. He's in the other room. Oh, okay. Yeah, Kirby's response is like uh, Star Trek, Duckman, the critic is like, Kirby was watching TV during a very specific period of time. <laughs> yeah, the dark ages. <laughs> that time was 1994. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it would have been because uh, I would not have left the state of Kansas in 1994 yet. And I remember watching all of those. Uh, Tweaked Audio is our sponsor this week. Tweakedaudio.com is the place you want to go if you want to get some really great earbuds. Four styles, six colors, optional microphones, designed for great style, great music, great talk. Engineered for durability, too, unless you run over them with your car or get the earbuds trapped in the uh, tooth of a dog and you try to yank it out and the earbud tooth comes out. of a dog. In the tooth of a dog. I'm not saying Is I know this by... Is that what they by. say when, like, people drink? Yes. Like, oh, uh, you, you want a tooth yeah, of a dog? You want the tooth, tooth of the dog, dog. That, uh, that drank you, yes. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Here's the deal, listeners. Head over to tweakedaudio.com. I, I know a lot of you have been buying these for Christmas gifts, for holiday gifts. I hope I'm not spoiling anything for those of you who are listening. You might be getting a pair of tweaked audio headphones <laughs> because they sent me some uh, they sent me some information on the sales the other day. And a lot of people are using the checkout code major at tweakedaudio.com. When you use the checkout code major, that's 33% off the price. Holy nice. crap. Get those for the holiday stocking stuffers. I know we're just around the corner. Don't know. I'm not going to make any guarantees that it will get to you in time for the holidays. Uh, but maybe one of those uh, late January gifts, early January gifts. Oh, go for it. Tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for your support. Start shopping for next year. Oh, there you go. Actually, you probably want to wait until July to do that because they may have some new models out. Ooh. Not saying I know anything, but I have been bugging them about Bluetooth. So there you go. Yeah, Bluetooth of the dog that bit you. Bluetooth of the dog <laughs> that bit you. That is right. Speaking of dogs that bit you. No. Those five. No. I remember reading this when it first came out, at least the first couple of issues. Yeah. Ah, Rodrigo. Hey, man. You're our our resident GM. Yes. And since you did all your homework a week early. I did. What is Dungeons and Dragons Fells 5 about? Uh, About 450 pages. 
It's about 450 so, pages. Yeah. Uh, Phil's Five is the adventures of a D&D adventuring party. Um, yeah. So you've got Fel. He's the leader. That's why they're called Fel's Five. Uh, Bree, who's a halfling rogue. Uh, Cal, who's a... Or Cal, I don't know. Who's a... Cal. Yes, Cal. Uh, who's a uh, dwarf paladin. Uh, Tisha, who's a tiefling uh, warlock. And Varys, who's an elf ranger. So if this is like the most D&D party that Ever. you could have. Well, like well, is nobody is playing book. against type here. It is a D&D comic book. Yeah. So clearly the, the mandate came down from Wizards of the Coast and was like, listen, like, don't don't go crazy with this. This is this is a fourth edition book. Yes, this it is, is yeah. set in the basically canonical fourth edition mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm so, not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, right towards the very end, like the last issue, it feels like they jumped to fifth edition. Like they're all like if anyone who's played that. uh starter set you know they're all riding on a wagon and they're getting attacked by things in the wagon i was like oh have they just switched to fifth edition in this on the uh, actually, road to somewhere they, i think what they did is they switched to essentials ah okay um so, so uh, adventurers yeah. have to be on a mission right that's right what is that mission matthew uh i'm i'm, I'm not sure rodrigo what is their mission <laughs> well actually there's kind of there's, there's a lot of missions. I would say two major arcs yeah, in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's possibly the 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 problem and the density of it is that this is kind yeah. of two this should be maybe two separate trades. With um, a with an aside in the middle that kind of goes and fi- fills in a missing adventure from their past. Right, right. So um the first time around it's kind of this thing where basically most of their adventures start with like Fell and his merry band are trying to make some money by being mercenaries, basically. And then monsters happen. Um, and so uh, the first one uh, is this thing that is kind of like the Shadowfell and the Feywild are like having this thing where someone's trying to combine evil energies um, with like Eladrin hearts. Um, and uh, bad things are happening. And then uh, the second one kind of takes us into like the dwarven mines and the uh, basically what's going on in uh, Cal's past. Yeah. Interesting. They try to touch on a little bit of everyone's past. Everyone gets yeah. a little bit of a backstory. Oh, yeah. Here's why Bree is upset. Here is why the tiefling is mad. Here is why the, the elf guy is not liked anymore. And here's why, surprisingly, the dwarf is a poet. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it is. It, the, everything, especially revolving the dwarf, is cute, I, mm-hmm. I found. Because it's like everybody else is kind of at odds with their race, basically. Right. And usually, oh, except for Bree. Um, uh, and generally, it's because of bad things they did. But the dwarf was just kind of like, like slightly not a cookie-cutter dwarf. And it basically gets him ostracized. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashley, you used to play Dungeons and Dragons, right? I, I did. I don't know if I played since the third edition, oh, though. Okay. But did so, this feel? I mean, did this feel to you like a cookie cutter D and D dungeon crawl experience? Uh, a little bit, it did. But I also think that 
if since I haven't been involved in D and D recently, like I was kind of lost. Oh, like really? I feel okay. like it was written for somebody who knew more than I did going into it, and I was also very sick when I read it. So I feel like it was mostly a fever dream. I didn't remember what anybody's name was, but it looked really pretty. I, you know, I read this and I was like, okay, now this is going to happen. Now this is going. I mean, and I read the first, I think, five or six issues. Uh, for major spoilers, either on the podcast or on Dueling Review, or um, I know uh, Rob had reviewed a couple of issues along the way. But this was I I do remember reading this a couple of years ago when it first came out. But even then, knowing how the formula for telling a D&D campaign goes, this feel, felt very much like the numbers. And I thought that was kind of a little disappointing. Matthew, I don't know if you felt that way or not. Yeah, I did because you you have your you know your main character who's actually secretly more than he seems, and he has a, a lost love who turns out to be secretly more than she seems. And there are a lot of beats in here that felt familiar to me just from D and D games that I've played. Some of them on this very website. What? Oh, <laughs> what? The heck but you say? <laughs> I think that with an adaptation, it's that question that we always have to ask ourselves. If it's an X-Files adaptation, does it look like uh, Dana Scully? Mm. To some degree, too much divergence from D&D lore is actually going to be the equivalent of the guy drew somebody who doesn't look like David Duchovny as Fox Mulder. You right, have right. to have you have to have, you know, your recognizable situations and your recognizable monsters. The elf has to be a ranger. It's the law. You gotta have him in there for your, you know, your whole Legolas Tannis Helf Elven kind of thing going on. Um, but when you break it down, it kind of depends on what you bring to it. I don't have a whole lot of love for reading what feels like somebody's D&D campaign, not because it doesn't make for a good story or it's not entertaining, but because I've had people pretty much tell me their D&D campaigns while standing behind a counter for years and years and years. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's that level of if you come into this and you're like, I want some solid square on the nose, heavy duty, everything says D&D to me kind of, sword swashbucklery adventure and the fighty fighty and the monsters and the talking and the, you know, the great terrible things that you can only take out with a plan, but you don't really have a plan because you're a group of five guys improvising. Cause you tried to diplomatize the horses. Exactly. But Rodrigo, I mean, this is a, this is a Dungeons and Dragons branded book. Mm-hmm. And ideally from a wizards of the coast standpoint, if you're working with IDW publishing, you would hope that this book, this volume has enough in it that someone who's like maybe into the high fantasy stuff will read this and go, you know what? I like this so much. I want to go do a campaign. I finally want to go out and invest the money or whatever into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. The, so does it work from that standpoint? I don't know. I, I think it probably does. Uh, I mean, in the same sense that like for those of us that have played a lot of D&D, we're like, wow, I can't believe that. They get into trouble because the halfling rogue tries to steal a giant ruby. I mean, that's like, yeah. Chapter how many times has that happened? Like, seriously, how many times has that happened to you? Right. Um, it, 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 the amazing thing is that this book kind of nails it. It nails the D and D experience yeah. right down to the weirdly out of character character quips that some <laughs> of the characters have. It's like I remember this thing where like. 
this guy's like, oh, you are a very beautiful tiefling lady. And she's like, thank you. People who fundle my nose often tell me that. And I'm like, that seems so out of character. But it seems like something that that character's player would say because suddenly it came into their brain and they just couldn't stop themselves. And so here, do you, you think know, it like, feels on brand? I think it does. I think, And it is. It's like so hardcore on brand. It is like... It's like if the if if they had made that new Star Trek and it was and it all took place only on the bridge of the Enterprise, <laughs> like, you know, it's like that is it. That is all you're getting. Like that is how on brand this feels. It just as, as an aside, um, I have played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons branded video games, and mm-hmm. a lot of them claim that it's going to be a very legit D experience like this is the D experience and they never are because they won't allow themselves to do a turn-based strategy game which is literally what dungeons and dragons is right you're always running around caves breaking barrels for some reason mm-hmm. or just like <laughs> so true clicking forward or backward in a dungeon or something like that amazingly this little comic for better or worse nails the D&D experience. Well, and I think it goes a step further because because they're trying to get you interested in Dungeons and Dragons and because they are keeping everything that you expect from Dungeons and Dragons into this, they mm-hmm. also include the campaign. So if you want yes. to play these characters, if you want to have the exact same encounters that you see in, I guess, the first four or five issues of the comic, they have it all there. So if you are someone that wants to run an encounters night or if you're someone that is looking for a story or you and your friends really got a kick out of this comic, you can go in and play those adventures because they have it all right there in the back of the book. That's an awesome marketing ploy. I thought so. I mean, it's it's the sort of synergy that Steven is always talking about that mm -hmm. no other comic company seems to have. Right. Mm -hmm. Wizards of the Coast understands that synergy. That's why you get magic cards with their magic books. Yep. Yeah. They, they get it. And, you know, you know, DC and Marvel at various stages of their life have had various role playing games. And it's pretty rare for them to even acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Except for the, uh, what's the be... uh, Injustice series, which ties into the video game. Oh, yeah. You I... could yeah, read anything. And then at the back of the book, they can stat out the villain for you. You know, it's awesome. like, and that would be great. People could see that and be like, well, this gives me a rough estimate, you know, because nerds love that stuff anyway. You know, you see the toys with like the little power cards and all of the illustrated encyclopedias of superheroes are like, Iron Fist power is a seven, you know, like, but a uh, seven is high. He's like a four. But, um, (laughs) uh, you know, this is like an amazing amount of synergy from a company that is used to doing this, i.e. Rom the Space Knight. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and not only that, I mean, they give you character sheets for uh, Audric uh, or Adric uh, Fell. uh, Adric. Adric Fell, Bree Three Hands. Uh, They've got uh, Kal. 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 Yes. And all the rest. Uh, they're on Gilligan's Island. Here on and it's, it. I think that is the greatest thing about this thing is if you're a dungeon master, you could pick this up. You could give these character sheets to your friends. And it even says at the bottom of the character sheet, permission is granted to photocopy this character sheet for <laughs> home use only Wizards of the Coast LLC. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could be a dungeon master 
totally crib everything that's going on in the in the comic and play the adventure that they've given you. So it's like and they even they even reference and this is the thing uh, that is a little bit different. They do not give you in the encounters. I don't think they give you the monsters and their stats, the monster stats, but they tell you where to look for them in the monster manual, mm-hmm. which, again, a go out and buy the starter set, three books, 100 bucks. Go for it. Uh, that is to me, this is the best part of the whole thing is that tie in. The story, uh, I'm glad that it's on point. I'm glad that it includes all the monsters. It's got a black dragon at the beginning. It's got a, 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 a what's the thing? The uh, beholder, beholder in there. Yep. It's got the Feywild. It's got giants and golems and all that stuff. It's 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 on. As Ashley said, it's on on for the market. Uh, a couple of artists on this series, though. Uh, did the art work for you, Ashley? I thought the art was really good for the most part. I enjoyed it. I wish that, um, and I don't know, we got this a while ago from IDW, but sometimes they will send us stuff with a watermark, doesn't obscure everything on the page. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I almost saved myself the embarrassment, uh, like the wide embarrassment of having read the wrong book last week because I was going to send a joke to you guys about the watermark being super obtrusive, and then I didn't. So it's like I could have just been narrowly embarrassed and then read the right book. Um, artwork for you, Matthew. Yeah, I felt like uh, there was a change. It, the, yeah, first the first half arc, of the book yeah. worked better for me than the second half. But I will say that the artist who did the second half, especially the dwarven stuff, did the cutest female dwarf in the whole world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Cal's Lady Love Cal's Lady, is yeah. just adorable. Yep. I don't know. Have you seen Tess Fowler on Rat Queens? Because Violet's pretty cute. She the one with the beard. Yeah, she is pretty cute. I I, I like that the art got a little softer in the second half and, and not as angular. And I don't mm-hmm. know if they. And I'd have to look and see if they used a different colorist or not. But it seemed like the colors also changed just slightly. Um, it's not. Well, they're underground. It's not night and day, although this does take place in the night and the day. Uh, but um, <laughs> the art is not like so drastic, like looking at Humberto Ramos and then Frank Cho. Um, but it is a slightly noticeable, but I don't think it's a big uh, detractor in this book at all. And there's a lot going on. I mean, it's fight, 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 talk, 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 snarky, snark, yeah. fight, 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 fight again. Background stuff. Here's the stuff that happened here. And then here's a secret magic that we only know. And by the way, this guy is super cool. And he had his arm ripped off and replaced with pure mithril or something. Yeah. Uh, Ashley, you said it was pretty look at, and it definitely is. Mm-hmm. So what what did you not like about this book? Besides the fact that it was 434 pages, this is, I believe, a hard time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is collecting yeah. 14 issues, so um, it's probably worth it uh, from that uh, standpoint. I was bugged by Tisha's armor. Uh, the tiefling? Oh, the corset? Yeah. The, the corset armor just seemed a little Yeah. Too... Sexy, again, sexy. I have no problem with sexy, sexy, but sexy, sexy is one thing. And when you're actually going out and getting shot at with arrows and stuff, you just think maybe you'd want to have something that would protect your your midsection. But it could be your chest where your heart is. (laughs) She's a tiefling. We don't know where her heart is. She could have a heart in her tail. I don't know. No, Um, I was irritated that their orcs did not have horns. (laughs) Right. Um, That's that's an in joke for the. Probably everyone who knows Critical Hit. Uh, but I think that overall, the only real weakness for me of the story is the fact that, again, when you are telling a story that is very much 
a D&D campaign, there are a lot of times where you're going to go, okay, well, I know what's going to happen here. And frankly, as much as I like the main character and I find him to be a really good protagonist, that character as written does not have 10 intelligence and 10 wisdom to me. I feel like the stats in the back are wonderful, but if I were playing the characters, they would come out very different than the way the story worked them. And again, that's a personal thing. That's something when when you put something together, I would say that Adric Fell definitely has a higher int- uh, wisdom, at least. Uh, maybe not intelligence, but he is written as much wiser than the character she would in- entail. Mm. And when you know when you're working within those rules, that does that does come up. That does matter to me as a reader and a and a gamer at the does same time. Does he come time. off as too much as uh, Aragon? Aragorn. Aragorn. I wouldn't necessarily say <laughs> Strider. Same guy. But I would say that yeah, he is he is quintessential, you know, frontline fighter dude. He's he's, he's a bit of a Mary Sue. He's Roy Greenhill in a lot he of ways. Has, he is very much Roy Greenhill, right down to actually being pretty smart, right? Yep. Um, and and having an untrustworthy but, rogue. But yeah, but stuff. Roy Green, like the the party from the Order of the Stick, is as much a uh, parody <laughs> as they are spot on. Right? There's lots of great stories in Order of the Stick, like actual epic hardcore stories. Yeah. But also, it's a parody at the same time. And this isn't. And I think that's a big part of what makes this feel like so on the nose, like a, you know, plus 10 dwarven mall to the nose. Like, right. it's really on the nose. Is that what you didn't like about it? Is it too much on the nose, Rodrigo? Yeah. I mean, honestly, honestly, I had flashbacks of like not great D&D campaigns that I've played in, you know, <laughs> of just like. Somebody being like, oh, we don't know what to do with this orb and like literally staring at it for an hour and then being like, can I make a religion check on it? It's like, yes, here's some information about it. It's like, oh, suddenly this dwarf is a friggin' expert on like ancient dwarven mythology. It's like, I mean, he was a poet and then he rushed his like becoming a paladin is like maybe, but eh, all right. Ashley, what did you eventually just jump down the well anyway? What what was the thing that you hated? Or dislike. Um, I, say. I don't think don't I hate hated it. anything. Yeah. Um, I felt a little bit like I was supposed to know some stuff that I didn't, mm, mm-hmm. and um, I could never remember everyone's name. Yeah, that is. And I don't know rough. if that was necessarily me or if that was, you know, because when you read something that's collected from single issues, normally you're introduced to everybody within the first couple pages. We say everybody's names just in case. And I was kind of, I found myself looking for that the way I've been looking for it in books like We Are Robin, because mm-hmm. when there's more than like three characters, I need to be reminded of what they're all called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just so, remember Ranger, Paladin, Thief. That does help. That does it does Magician. help that they have very clear classes. Yeah. Also, that each one of them is a different race. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. you know human, halfling, dwarf, tiefling, elf. Yeah. They are very visually distinct, which is good. Tiefling Tisha. Bottom line for me, I think if you are if you are a hardcore Forgotten Realms type person um, who just plays everything straight up from the book. This is something that'll be right up your alley. I think if you're someone who's never played Dungeons and Dragons before, I think this is a good primer of what kind of things you can expect in a game without the actual rolling of dice. Um, The art is fun. I think if you're someone that grows weary of 
um, RPG type stuff told high fantasy way and not deviating from that, you probably won't like it very much, but I enjoyed it for what it is. I think there's some real potential for someone who wants to run a game based on this. Um, so I'm saying, you know, go check it out. It's, it's, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Um, Ashley, what are your, what are your final thoughts on this book? Um, my final thoughts are, again, if you are a hardcore Forgotten Realms D&D person, you will probably like it enough. If you are looking to become one such person, I think this would be ideal for you. Do you want to go play uh, any Dungeons and Dragons after you've read this? I do, actually. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. So I guess it worked. There you go. Matthew? Uh, as, as far as the character beats and the actual assembly it's all very well crafted it's put together in a way that makes sense the major issue that i had was one of over familiarity which not everybody's gonna have not everybody's gonna walk into this and say okay this is what i expect xyz this is how this person should act this is how this person will act and once you get into it and it did take me about a hundred pages to really start engaging and going, okay, wait, uh, oh, oh, okay, yeah. The the running gags are cute, and the, the character bits are pretty solid. I think that Rodrigo's uh, remark about the characters occasionally feeling either out of character or maybe a little anachronistic is spot on. And I think that that makes it feel even more like a D&D campaign, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the game's, the the book's strength and the book's weakness. So if you go in expecting this is going to be very much like a D&D campaign, I think you'll have an idea of where the pitfalls are and, you know, where the good stuff is going to be too. Plus that whole uh, dwarven architecture joke. Yeah. Kind of, it, it didn't work for me. <laughs> it didn't work for you. I kind of found it funny. It didn't work for me, no. What does yeah, always the like best Elven stuff have to Granola. be? What does all the best stuff have to be? Uh, dwarven, uh, exactly. Rodrigo, you get the final word on this book this week. Uh, this book, uh, so uh, on critical hit, we get a lot on critical of, hit. Yes, yes, uh, we get a lot of people saying, you know what, I don't get to play D anD D anymore. I'm too busy, or I don't. None of my friends live near me, or whatever. And critical hit fills that spot. Um. If you feel That's that so way, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you feel that way, this is the book for you. Like this book is like reading a D and D campaign, and in fact, a fourth edition, specifically a fourth edition D and D campaign. Yep. So I'd strongly recommend it for you. Now, if you are like me and you've been in a long running fourth edition campaign, oh, um, this book may feel a little bit too familiar in some ways. And, and if you've played in other D&D campaigns as well, um, and, you know, maybe a little too predictable in some ways, uh, but there's nothing wrong with it. The art is nice uh, and I enjoyed it. Awesome. All right, everybody, that wraps it up, I think, for this week's uh, show. Be sure to check out uh, uh, Red Shirt Diaries over at YouTube.com uh, slash Jawin. What are we up to? What episode are we up to now? We are at episode 24, which is the side of paradise, which is the oh. episode that we shot 53 oh, yeah. weeks ago on yeah. the bridge da, 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 down in Oklahoma. Da, da. Yeah, in Oklahoma City. That music is from a mock time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 
Do we want to have a nerd off today? <laughs> the show's almost over. Yes, we almost made it. We over. almost made it to the end without. <laughs> so close. So uh, yes, you can go check out the Richard Diaries at YouTube.com/slash/Jawin. You can follow Ashley at Ashley V Robinson. Uh, Matthew mm-hmm. Peterson. You can follow his antics at Mighty King Cobra. Uh, Rodrigo's got a book call- coming out called The uh, Ta- Tale of Tallest Rabbit. It's coming out January twelfth. You can uh, follow him at Fearsome Critter and at his Tumblr page, uh, Magic Turtle. Uh, at Tumblr or magicturtle.tumblr.com. And of course, you can follow me at Major Spoilers. And until next time, uh, when we come back to talk about comics, <laughs> you I messed that up, didn't hoping I? All your I dice rolls. Yes, you're hoping all <laughs> your dice rolls did. will be back. Uh, don't get caught cheating. And we'll be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. We will talk with you soon. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Podcast. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Podcast. 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 Podcast